Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Shewart & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you've spent any time in New Orleans, you'll know that we attach a lot of importance to which high school you went to and whether or not you were born here. We are similarly fixated on the importance of our identity as a city by claiming to be the birthplace of, depending upon who you talk to, jazz, rock and roll, funk, and the cocktail. For a drink to be technically defined as a cocktail, it has to contain bitters. Another one of our claims is that bitters were born here, created by Creole apothecary Antoine Peixot. Today, Peixot's bitters are made in Kentucky. However, there's a whole new generation of bitters being made here in New Orleans. One of the most recent is El Wapo Bitters. It's made by the New Orleans Beverage Group. They only began production in 2014, but El Wapo Bitters are already sold across the country and around the world from Canada to New Zealand. The CEO of New Orleans Beverage Group is Krista Cotton. Krista, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, thanks for having me. One of the things we are not big on here in New Orleans is change. And despite our focus on which high school you went to, one of the activities we are least renowned for is education. Claire Lochran is not daunted by tradition or our educational reputation. Claire is the founder and director of NOLA Nature School. NOLA Nature School was launched in 2017. It lives on a 60-acre site in City Park and, as its name suggests, delivers an education centered around nature, specifically getting kids to spend time outdoors. Claire, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Now, Krista, I'll start with you. Bitters are, as far as I'm aware, normally governed by the same strict laws that define who can distribute and who can sell alcohol and alcohol-related products. I understand you've found a way around these restrictions, though, by classifying El Wapo bitters as, quote, unquote, non-GMO vegetable glycerin. What is it about the way you make bitters that separates you from your other companies in this industry that are governed by alcohol regulations? And and what competitive advantage does this classification give you over them? So most bitters companies in the U.S. and around the world are made or distilled with grain alcohol. There is a way to do it where you use grain alcohol, but you also use a glycerin base uh, to extract flavor, but you can classify your product that way as a grocery product, which makes you under the regulation of the FDA as opposed to the TTB. So What's the, that second one? The, the, you are, you're part of the FDA, and you're, you don't have to worry about the TTB, which is the governing body that deals with alcohol licensure, coding, permitting. It's like the federal arm that deals with alcohol law. Now, I always thought bitters had alcohol in them. Does yours have alcohol in them? Ours do, yes, but we're classified as a grocery product because we use grain alcohol and glycerin. So much in the same way that vanilla extract also has alcohol, it's non-potable, and it's still sold in grocery stores even though it has a very high alcohol content. Ours are the same way, uh, but it's because of the designation of a grocery product that's non-potable that we can get around the distribution and licensure and coding issues. 
that most other companies now, experience. Is are, are bidders more used? I, I think of them in Europe, for instance, than mm-hmm. they do in the United States. Is is that roughly true? So I feel like a lot of places that have. Um, a, he- a stronger cocktail culture like New Orleans do place a heavier emphasis on bitters. Uh, it's growing in the U.S. and we see more places uh, like San Francisco and New York that have heavier usage of our products and we grow faster in those markets. Really but historically, cool places. Yes, yeah. but historically cities in Europe um, have always had an um, affinity for bitters in their drinks and, and it's just, uh, they definitely use, they're more prevalent, I guess you could and say. What do you mix it with? What do you, where do you use it? So bitters are in everything from an old-fashioned. You can put them in a champagne cocktail. Uh, they're very versatile. We also make syrups and different um, bottled cocktails as well. So um, any, basically any kind of drink or mocktail. Uh, I'm also mocktail. Yes. So I'm pregnant and have been exper- experimenting with different uh, recipes that are uh, non-alcoholic that you can use our syrups in and just different. But once you put bitters in them, do they become alcoholic? Um, it depends. So all, they all have different ranges of alcohol, but usually you only use a few drops. And so if you put that in a drink, it would be like less than half a percentage. Oh, these are questions I've always personally wanted to know. They, <laughs> yes. now, Claire, the first thing most people think about when you tell them you're going to spend any time outdoors in New Orleans is the heat, uh, then the bugs. I would imagine if you tell parents you're going to give their kids an education based on the concept of being outdoors, they'd be wondering how anybody would concentrate on math or English without air conditioning. So maybe you could start by describing what goes on at the NOLA Nature School. Do you have classrooms as well as classes in City Park? Well, um, we're starting our full program in the fall, and so we're going to have a school bus that's going to, we're taking all the seats out. Like Mrs. Frizzle? Yeah. Yeah, We're going to take all the seats out, and we're going to turn it into a classroom space. So that's what we're going to use. Like when it rains, that kind of thing? When it, well, not when it's just raining, but if there's thunderstorms. Because lightning, we don't mess around with. But if it's raining, there's still so much learning that can go on outside. There's all kinds of math um, activities you can do with volume and pouring and measuring. Um, and then the heat, we have the school bus for the like beginning of the school year and end of the school year when it gets really hot. That's September, May. Now these kids are like three and four years old? Three and four years old. So um, do you need, at that level, do you need accreditation? So we are um, registered as a non-public school, but we, once we finish our nonprofit um, application, we're going to be searching, or we're going to be requesting um, accreditation through the state. But the, at the moment, we're, you can register as a non-public school without seeking state accreditation. You know what I think of is that you know a lot of parents get so hyper about, you know, is my very very small child learning what he or she needs to like move on to kindergarten or whatever? Is is that one of the roadblocks you get? It is. It's something that we have to talk with parents a lot about. Um, the people that I work with are very passionate about kind of enlightening parents on what children really need to learn in early childhood, that it's not about learning to read, that that's really a first grade skill, and it's really about social-emotional development and learning to be independent and be confident and, and have the gross motor skills, because without the gross motor skills, you can't control your body to sit in a chair long enough to learn to read. So found that particularly with boys, I mean, yes. you just can't coop yeah. them up. Yeah, and we've noticed a huge difference just in our Saturday classes with this age group. You know, when you're in a classroom space, because I taught preschool in a traditional school, and you're in a classroom space and you're trying to keep the kids calm and keep them, you know, 
the volume level down and just keep maintain sanity when you're outdoors they're just they're running and screaming and having a good time and there are no walls for them to bounce off of they're just they're the having a great yeah off the walls yeah, yeah. They're, and they're they're having so much more fun with each other in that way <laughs> no i uh, not that I'm going to go do this at home, but how do you make bitters? The process varies slightly depending on the actual pro- product that we're making. Um, but essentially, we take non-GMO glycerin as a base and mix that with grain alcohol. And then we have 250 different herbs, roots, flowers, spices, uh, different fruits and vegetables that we use for certain recipes, and we put them in the pot, and it's much like distilling. So um, they cook at certain temperatures for um, various amounts of time, again, just depending on the recipe. And then uh, we siphon all of that out and filter it. Um, We actually use industrial grade filters from a petroleum factory to do ours because that was the way uh, we could get it approved through the state of Louisiana. Um, And then we approve anything that has to do with petroleum, (laughs) right? And then um, we heat it back up again, and then uh, we hand bottle hand label, wax, do everything ourselves in our facility. Do you have like a still in your backyard? That's what I'm picturing. (laughs) Um, We sort of created our own process. So uh, it's sort of like a still, but we have different size pots for different size vats. And currently we're producing in either 20 gallon or 40 gallon pots. So uh, they're pretty massive and uh, they're, they're more, I would say more like a like a crawfish pot that we have like put put different gauges and regulators on than an, like a, what you would envision as like a traditional still, if you will. And your dad was a distiller. Yeah, so my family owns 13th Colony Distilleries, which is located in Americus, Georgia. Uh, That's where Jimmy Carter's from. Yes, so he's from seven miles away, right down the street oh, in wow. Plains, Georgia. So when I was in college at Auburn University, my father is sort of a serial entrepreneur, if you will. Uh, He's really a real estate guy at heart, and he decided, I'm not sure if it was a midlife crisis or what, but he saw an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was of a distiller in Atchison, Kansas. And he said, I'm going to do this. And we all thought, you're insane. There's no way you're really going to do this. Well, he did it. So uh, from 2007 to 2009, I worked with him to help open the distillery, find a place, get it permitted and approved. And he was the first person in Georgia to open a craft distillery. So since 2009, he's gotten it to where he's on the upper limit of what is considered craft. So they're at roughly 10,000 cases a year at this point. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Krista Cotton, CEO of the New Orleans Beverage Group, who make bitters and cocktail syrups, and Claire Loughran, from the outdoor-centered educational institution, NOLA Nature School. Claire, where do you find these kids? Or I guess more, more giving. You need, to find, you need to find the parents, I guess. How do you market to them? Well, we started off um, really just marketing to parents that of the kids that I taught during the week. And then it was a word of mouth and situation. Where were you teaching in a more so traditional? Teaching at St. George's, Okay. right on Napoleon and Magazine. Um, so it was really just parents that I knew and kids that I knew and kind of creating an environment of support where I knew they were going to really be behind the idea of having these kids outdoors on Saturday mornings. And then that kind of developed into word of mouth spreading the now, did you kind of bounce the idea for a lot of people to see if they kind of gauge the Well, the this, this is a very popular um, form of education in New England and in um, like the Northwest area um, where it's a lot colder. And I actually got my master's degree from a school in New England in nature preschools. 
And so well, I'm in class with these people up in New England and they're talking about, well, if it's negative 20, we only go outside for maybe half an hour. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, we need to do this in New Orleans. We don't, our worst weather is during summertime when kids aren't in school. There, we have like a month on either end of the beginning and end of school year, but really New Orleans weather in the winter and the spring and fall are beautiful. And so why not? A, is this sort of like a, uh, an educational format, like we hear like the Waldorf School, for instance. Uh, um, it, so there, are you following kind of a template? Well, there is a template that a lot of people kind of fall into, but with my background, I've come from both Montessori teaching and Reggio Emilia style teaching. So I've kind of brought all of those styles of education together. Um, the, the nature kindergarten, the Montessori, and the Reggio, and meshed them into our own type of program. So it's kind of taking pieces that we felt were the strongest from each style of education. And uh, Krista, a WAPO, we were having a little argument about this before the show. Does it mean <laughs> big guy or handsome or what do you... So it means Mr. Handsome. Um, the original owner of this business started it, and he says that that was his uh, military nickname. Uh, if you saw him, you may beg to differ a little bit. <laughs> so um, I actually have uh, two Bernese Mountain Dogs that have been my best friends throughout this whole process. So now we just say El Guapo is whichever dog is present. But um, it really started so just it, from a... So you didn't get it from a Three Amigos movie or well, he Well, yes. So there were three of them that were friends. <laughs> And he was the handsome one, I, I suppose. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But uh, that's really where it originated from. Claire and Krista, this is a part of the show we call Another Great Idea. Uh, maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. Now, you can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that may have really turned out great. Or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice, and how did it turn out? Uh, Claire. Well, I have, I guess I have kind of almost two examples that kind of led me right to where I am now. I have my best friend's mom is a Montessori teacher and she throughout my life just kept pushing me and prodding me into early childhood and I was very resistant in my early 20s and then after a while I, I really came to embrace it and found that this was my career so if I hadn't really listened to her I don't think Nola Nature School would be here. But then the other one is my older sister had moved down here two years before I did um, and she, I was coming to visit her, and I was coming the same time Hurricane Gustav was coming. Oh. <laughs> and so she was trying to convince me that maybe I shouldn't come down because of the hurricane. And, and then I had a coworker who said, when have you been to New Orleans? How many times are you going to go? You should just go. If you get evacuated, you get evacuated. So the Red Cross and I came Obviously. on the flight together, <laughs> and we shortly after got evacuated, but it was the beginning of my love affair with New Orleans, so I, I am like very glad. That's, that's a really good sign. <laughs> Crystal, what about yourself? Uh, so mine would actually probably be my father. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he is sort of a serial entrepreneur who has had several successful ventures and a few 
maybe not so yeah. successful. I mean, That's part of the game too, right? Um, so I'm one of six siblings on this side of my family. And um, he takes a strong interest in what all of us do. And we're all very different people. But um, I'm the only one who's ever, as an entrepreneur, um, bought and run a business successfully. I'm also the youngest girl. So uh, he, I, I've worked in advertising. I have uh, worked for him at the a lot of different things in my career and he always said you're the one with the with the personality and the drive to do this you should you should own a business and I was a little bit hesitant and just didn't really you rub that into your brothers and sisters or that you would no, chosen no, one no no well several of them work for him and do very other successful things they just don't own their own business and do something uh, independent that it's, it's theirs to go and run no, they're all very successful and do amazing things. Uh, but uh, when the opportunity for El Guapo came along, uh, I was specifically approached about purchasing it because of my experience in the distillery industry and advertising. Uh, my love affair with New Orleans, I've been doing for quite some time at that point. And I approached my parents with the with the numbers and just the idea. And my dad really pushed me uh, to have the confidence to go do it. Uh, he actually said, if you don't do it, I'm going to. Um, so here we are. Getting against you for the effort to But you know, I think uh, without his encouragement and also just his uh, strong vote of support, I probably wouldn't have had the courage to to go for it. And uh, I'm really glad that I did. And had I not, then you know, Obafo would not be where it is today. And I don't even know if it would still be in existence. Honestly. You know, you had two experiences that I'm just wondering if they helped you in this. And one is. You did some work for the Idea Village. I did. And, and the other was trumpet advertising. Yes. They seem like great building blocks for you. Yes. So uh, my time at Trumpet was amazing. Uh, the Louisiana Office of Tourism was actually my main client. Uh, so I was able to travel the state and work with several different New Orleans businesses to film their advertising campaigns. Uh, we did just different projects. The Super Bowl came. We had the VCS National Championship while I was on that account. Uh, I just got so much exposure and experience at a very young age that uh, not very many people uh, are given the opportunity to, to be a part of or experience. And uh, I was the youngest person on the team by like 20 years, I think. Uh, but it was really fun. I learned a lot. And leaving was definitely bittersweet, but it was what I needed to do to sort of uh, grow as a person and uh, sort of experience that we need. But uh, Trumpet was amazing. And, uh, You're using those skills yeah, daily. Yeah, definitely helped me. And You're in the kind of the early stages of this mm -hmm. business. I know you've got a, a GoFundMe. Uh, yep. I guess we'll help you get the, the bus. Yes. We'll, uh, yes. How's <laughs> uh, 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 that going? And is that the tougher part? I mean, you obviously love children, so right. that part doesn't have to come. Is it the funding that's so tough? That it, it, it's, and it's definitely a learning curve because teaching is comes very naturally. And this idea of bringing children out into nature made a lot of sense. But learning the business aspect is definitely a steeper learning curve for me, and um, it's taking up a, a lot of brain power. <laughs> you want to go to the island? <laughs> 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 and do you lease that spot in City Park? So we are we are forming a contract with them oh. where we will be able to provide a small amount of rent to be able to use the space. But it's a public park, so it's not. Our space isn't 
our own. People come and go throughout that forest all day long. Um, but we do want to help support City Park as... We think it'd be one of those businesses where the first couple of years would be, would be tough, but mm-hmm. then when people got used to it... Yes, that's what we're hoping that this first year we're piloting with only 10 kids. So it's really just a really small, intimate group of kids and parents so that we can get the idea out there and get people used to the idea of kids being outside because it's a very radical idea down here. New Orleans is steeped in tradition, but these days we're more aware than ever that we're changing. Among those changes is our approach to education. Claire, you are making a unique contribution to education in New Orleans. It'll be interesting to see over the next few years where it leads both you and the kids you're educating. Krista, as a manufacturer of bitters, you're most definitely following in the footsteps of a New Orleans tradition, but if you'll pardon the cocktail reference, you're shaking things up. (laughs) It it has been great to meet both of you. Thank you both, Krista and Claire, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank Thank you. you so much. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Krista Cotton, the CEO of New Orleans Beverage Group, and Claire Lochran, the founder and director of NOLA Nature School. You can find out more about Claire's school and Krista's bitters by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. You can find more of Allison's photos at allisonemoon.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Shewart & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. Additional support for Out to Lunch comes from Basic Swim and Gym, Travel Central, In Metairie, and Strategic Resumes. Thank you.